You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Alliance 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. You'll hear from my colleagues Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen a little bit later here on the show. It's our pregame edition of the podcast as we get set for a Saturday kickoff in Beaver Stadium between the Nittany Lions and the Northwestern Wildcats. Big Ten action resumes for the Penn State following three consecutive non-conference victories. 4-0, number 11 in the AP Top 25 poll. Uh, as you'll hear in a moment from a Northwestern reporter, Rough go of it in September for the Wildcats. They opened in Europe with a Big Ten victory, but since then have been a bit of a spiral as they head to Beaver Stadium. We'll break down the Wildcats in a moment. We'll talk about quarterback number one for Penn State and some uh, talk about his health this week and get into some of the uh, perceived strengths and potential concerns for Penn State going into a matchup in which they are favored by almost four touchdowns yet again ahead of an off week on this 2022 schedule. Uh, but before we talk a lot about Penn State, give you our final predictions on this one. Let's talk about the opponent. Let's learn more about the Northwestern Wildcats right now from Bradley Locker, who is the managing editor at Inside NU, part of the SB Nation Network. And you know all about the Northwestern Wildcats. We're starting to get familiar with this program as we do in these game weeks for Penn State. Uh, one thing is very apparent. They're hobbled coming into this matchup after three losses at home. Let's start there. This is a season Bradley, that opened on the road in Dublin, Ireland with a Big Ten victory, but it has gone downhill in a hurry. What would you point to as the primary causes for the early collapse with Northwestern? As you as you noted, it certainly was a very stark difference between the first game of the season. All of a sudden, it seemed like Northwestern had figured everything out. The offensive line legitimately looked like one of the best units in the country. Ryan Holinsky, the quarterback last year, who was kind of beleaguered, looked much more accurate and much more decisive. And then Flash forward to these these last three games against three non-conference opponents, which have given Northwestern fits in the past few years. And that was exactly the case this year. And I think even worse than most fans expected, losing all three to Duke with new head coach Mike Elko, then to Southern Illinois and FCS team. I think Northwestern is at least when they when the team lost to uh, Southern Illinois, it was the only power five team to drop a game to an FCS opponent this year. And then this past Saturday to Miami of Ohio, another team that Northwestern it's just leaps and bounds more talented than on paper, but it's just a failure to execute on the field. And I, I think that's what Pat Fitzgerald has um, spoken about a lot is that the team is practicing well. There is talent and some level of, of starting experience on this team that when the unit goes on the field, it's just not winning um, as, as in, the, in the way that it seems to be in practice. And that, I guess in the way that the coach Fitzgerald is expecting um, when it goes on the field. But I, I think this team doesn't really have a good identity it's not really a pass first team or a run first team. We thought it might be a run first team with the talent in the backfield of Evan Hole and Cam Porter. Hole had over a thousand years last, thousand yards last year, I should say. Um, after Porter suffered a season-ending lower leg injury in training camp, and that was a very welcome surprise and a very dismal year for Northwestern. But Ryan Holinsky has regressed significantly, looking a lot more like the um, struggling quarterback we saw last year. The defense was. A little more experienced on paper, but the defensive line is not consistently getting pressure aside from Adetamo, Adabare. The linebackers are are basically all new starters and are very much looking like it. Then the secondary has really been banged up, and it seems to be this uh, way going forward as well. Well, when you have a head coach who's been there since 2006, you know a start like this is certainly concerning. It's it's not a new regime trying to figure out the roster, and the roster trying to figure out the new regime. Um, what what it, what is kind of the vibe right now around the Northwestern program? Because this is the head coach that has basically you know the job for life situation with Pat Fitzgerald. What's the sense of how the ship can be righted, or if the ship can be righted in the short term? 
That's a phenomenal question. And I think us on the media side, and I think the fan side for sure figures that, oh, the season might very well be in, in serious jeopardy already. But within the program, within the walls of the Walter Athletic Center and Ryan Field, it seems like Coach Fitzgerald and the rest of this Northwestern staff think that this team is going to be fine. Um, yesterday or Monday, I should say, Fitzgerald said that he still expects this team to go contend for championships. They're only a third into the season. They're still 1-0 in Big Ten play. So it's kind of odd from that perspective that Fitzgerald is very much taking the high road um, and figuring this team could still be good when it, it's really just, just unable to do so when it steps onto the actual turf, no matter how it looks in practice or anything like that. Um, so I, I think, again, internally, this, this team is expecting to figure things out. And it seems like every single week, the, the team has found a way to make three to four bad errors. And then that, that will cost um, a game. But as I mean, as you talked about earlier, it's it's fine to maybe do that in a Big Ten game, but it's really inexcusable if you're going against it in a Southern Illinois or Miami of Ohio. These should be your cleanup games where you you figure out those mistakes and then you're pretty prepared and ready to to move forward against a team like Penn State, where the margin of error is basically zero. But um, I, I think Fitzgerald still again just just very confident, and I, I don't know if the rest of the Northwestern fandom would would share that sentiment. Just a quick review for our listeners of, of the last decade of Northwestern football, probably better than you may have realized. 10 wins in 2012, 10 wins in 2015, 10 wins in 2017, nine wins in 2018. They got into the Big Ten title game, uh, seven wins during a nine game season in 2020. They got into the Big Ten uh, title game, uh, finished with a Citrus Bowl victory, finished inside the top 10. There's been a bit of a running joke, Bradley, that it's like an every other year situation for Northwestern. They go to that Big Ten title game in 2018 and 2020. Meanwhile, in 2019, they win three games. And last year, they win three games. And they only won one game in the Big Ten last year. But it doesn't feel like that pendulum is swinging back. Does that match up with the expectations that were in place in the preseason? We've done a lot of kind of going into October versus going into September conversations, comparing and contrasting for Penn State. What is that outlook like for you with Northwestern? I think going into the preseason, a lot of the media covering the team expected this team to maybe take a marginal step up, maybe just a little bit better than three and nine. I did have the Wildcats at three and nine, but actually with zero conference wins. So kind of an oddity there because I just thought the Big Ten had gotten so much better. Granted, I was expecting Nebraska to be a much, much improved team, and that has not been the case at all. Um, but I think – Anyone who figured that, oh, this is going to be another one of those years of the even year magic, per se, that Northwestern was suddenly going to figure it out. The more experienced quarterback, uh, a more veteran defensive staff, bringing back the same coordinators from last year, I think was definitely overselling it a little bit because this team on paper just was not super talented and didn't have a lot of standouts or really enough cornerstones on either side of the ball to really uh, wow you or, or really intimidate another team, especially in the conference. And then when you look at the schedule, I mean, Again, this is the cakewalk portion of Northwestern's schedule. Now the team has to go in Happy Valley. They have to play Wisconsin the week after that, and we all know how that went last year, just a drubbing in Madison. Then the team plays Ohio State later in the year, had to travel to Minnesota. The Gophers look very, very legit. Uh, had to travel to Purdue, play Illinois. So the Big Ten West, for as strange of a, of a conference and division as it is, uh, I don't think there are a lot of slouches in the in the division. And Northwestern right now is very much facing the reality of finishing last in the division for another year. I wasn't going to ask this, but you brought it up. You, you said that you saw them winning all three of their games in non-conference. They came away from non-conference with zero wins. Does that mean you're projecting a 1-11 campaign as things stand right now? Oh, man. It, it's tough to hedge my bets on, on Pat Fitzgerald just winning one game, but I think it just oh. – how this, how this team matches up with the rest of the competition, I mean – We'll get into the predictions for this weekend, but I'm not too bullish on that one. Same thing with Wisconsin or Ohio State. So those are pretty much guaranteed losses. I think Northwestern could win a game or two here or there. I think Iowa is a more favorable matchup. Northwestern played the Hawkeyes pretty well last year. Um, it was a 17-12 to 12 game, just very strange all around. And it felt like Northwestern was a, even a decent quarterback away from pulling out that one. So maybe Northwestern can go on the road in Kinnick where it has won before and do the same this year maybe pull off an upset of a team like Purdue or Illinois, but it, it's looking quite extraordinarily bleak once again. And I would say a ceiling of three wins is probably realistic at this point. Northwestern has won fewer than five games under Pat Fitzgerald's watch only three previous times, 2006, 
2019-2021, but they're going to have some work to do to avoid that kind of reality uh, as the season progresses, as Bradley just pointed out. So, Bradley, let's get into it on offense. As you said, the quarterback position has been a regression for them, uh, one of the many teams across the country who have looked toward the transfer portal uh, for a quarterback option, uh, and, and, you know, look, and, and you find out what you have at the other side. It isn't always uh, the grass is greener situation. What's been the issue with Holinsky uh, here in 2022? And, and around the field, where is the supporting cast going to come from against Penn State? Beginning with Holinsky in the offseason, he remarked a lot about how he felt he was in some of the best shape of his life and his career. He really put in the work in the weight room, found a home there, had some synergy with Mike Bajaki and the offensive coordinator. He just felt a lot more comfortable in this offense with a lot of the same receivers and running backs and offensive linemen from last year. And as I said, it really demonstrated itself in that first game um, in Dublin. Holinsky was co-Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week effectively the best game of his career in over three years. But then the last three games, we've seen the Holinsky of old where he's slow to read the field and then tries to force the ball into tight windows, which can easily lead to pass breakups to throw off his back foot a lot, especially on out routes, which that is a very dangerous decision if you want to try to do that. Um, and it just seems like he's unable to string together enough consistent chunk plays for this Northwestern offense to keep momentum and to – I guess, prevent a, a short field for its opposition and to keep its defense off of the field. But I also think it is a bit of a lack of cohesion on offense in general. The receivers figure to be one of the weaker points in this team because it's basically Malik Washington is one of the few veterans that, that proved himself last year, but he's a slot guy primarily. 83% of his snaps are out of the slot this year, and he is a menace in the middle of the field. He could definitely pose problems for Penn State or any team because he does not go down on first contact. He's only listed at 5'9", 5'10", but he is really a, a barreling force um, in between the hashes. But besides Washington, there haven't been a lot of receivers who have consistently played well this year. Bryce Kurtz has had a few flashes. Jensen Hooper-Price has a big frame. Jacob Gill, the, the sophomore, has had some good moments, but also some bad moments. And even Washington himself had two pretty back-breaking fumbles this past week when Northwestern was in Miami territory, including to end the game. Um, and then so the receivers, as I, as I noted, not exactly a strong point. And at running back, there is a heap of talent there in Hole, who is probably the best catch pass catching back in the Big Ten, I would say. I don't know if that's really too bold of a statement. I don't know if he's the best overall back in the Big Ten, considering the, the talent there. But Hole is the team's leading receiver through uh, four games, and he has proven that he is capable of catching the ball. And then Cam Porter has been on and off after coming back from injury. Northwestern fans were eager to see what they had in Porter, the first year sensation and he had he's had some chunk runs he's had some some games where he's missed some small details like pass protection and he's had a fumble or two um so i think it's about the offensive line generating enough holes for there to be holes for hole and quarter because the run game has not been very efficient in the last few weeks against lower competition where northwestern i mean fitzgerald said the team is built to win the line of scrimmage but the results are not showing themselves if you're averaging three four yards a carry against Southern Illinois and Miami of Ohio. And then the tight ends, uh, Thomas Gordon has been a seam stretcher for Northwestern this year, really opened up the pass game. But it feels like he either goes for five or six catches or one or two, so kind of hot or cold. And the tight end, the other tight ends, Marshall Lang and Charlie Mangieri, weren't used a whole lot last year, kind of the same story this year. Um, so just, just looking for someone to be that number one option on offense, um, especially for Holinsky, has been a bit of a daunting task. I guess I would say it's either Washington or the transfer, Donnie Navarro, who has also made some pretty tough contested catches for the cats but it's again it's still kind of a soul searching process which is pretty much the opposite of what you want when you're going into playing a team like penn state on the road well, penn state has faced the most passes of any team in the fbs through the first four weeks part of that is the opposing offensive strategy and part of that is the way they've gotten up on teams and and obviously las vegas anticipates northwestern will be playing some catch up over the course of the matchup saturday James Franklin actually alluded to uh, Evan Hall as a guy who the offense flows through. You talked about him being the leading receiver. He's over 300 yards receiving. He's approaching 400 yards on the ground at the running back position. Um, but I think it's fair to say, and, and and I think you know fans are a bit familiar with this at Northwestern, um, the most impressive NFL prospect on the roster is found on the offensive line. Yes, indeed. That would be none other than Peter Scrossi, the left tackle, whom I had the pleasure of uh, – Featuring this summer in a piece, feel free to check that out on our website, InsideNU.com. But when you talk to Coach Gerald, Coach Kurt Anderson, the offensive line coach, Mike Bajaki, and really just anybody within that 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 program in Evanston, they just rave about Skaronsky, his work ethic, how humble he is, and just the way he moves people 
in the game, in the run game, the pass game. There are very few weaknesses. One of them would be that he has a slightly smaller frame at six foot four, which is what we saw with Rashawn Slater, another Northwestern tackle. And it seems like a lot of the parallels are going to be drawn between the two as we near April um, and that they're just phenomenal guys on and off the field, but they might have some measurement concerns. So that'll, I guess, it seems like Skronsky is not concerned whatsoever with that. And it remains to be seen, obviously, if he even will declare for the draft, because I'm sure this year is, is not exactly how he wanted things to go, not how he envisioned uh, playing his junior year in Evanston, but he has steadily improved and he is really the anchor of this offensive line. I think the unit has been inconsistent as a whole. Josh Preeb, the left guard, came back from injury last year and he looked phenomenal in Dublin, but then he and the rest of the interior, Charlie Schmidt moving to center, um, they've been okay to solid, I guess I would say, for the prior three games. And then right guard, we did see a change this past week. It had been Ben Rather, and now it was Vince Picozzi, the transfer. So not sure if that was a coaching decision or related to injury. And then Ethan Wiederker, the right tackle, comes back for a sixth season. He's definitely not on par with Skaronsky, though, and I think that's alarming if you're a Northwestern fan because the offensive line has kept Holinsky clean, but how it will hold up against the, the pretty formidable pass rush that Penn State has, led by Chop Robinson, is, is really the key question. Yeah, you mentioned Slater there. By the way, 2021 first-round pick out of Northwestern. They may have another one on their hands, but those tackles are going to have quite the matchup on their hands. You just mentioned that Penn State pass rush with Chop Robinson, with Adiza Isaac, with the true freshman, Denied Dennis Sutton. Uh, guys are starting to step up. They're starting to find some rhythm, and they're going to look for their shots in this in this game. You said Holinsky during the summer was really excited about where he was athletically, physically, compared to other points in his career. What can we expect to see when that pocket starts to collapse and he gets a speed rush on him? Is this a spot where Penn State can feast or can he make some things happen and evade that kind of pressure? That is kind of the tell-all question. And I would say it is much more of the former. Holinsky is really not very adept when he's under pressure. I mean, it's shown itself on the tape really throughout the entire season that he's not able to feel pressure super well. So he's susceptible to fumbles because he won't notice someone coming from even his right side, let alone the blind side and the pass protection from the running backs has been kind of all over the place to start the year. So that could very much lead to Holinsky losing the ball, as we've seen throughout this season so far. And then in terms of his running ability, it's it's virtually non-existent. He did have one uh, kind of fun read option run that went for about 20 yards, but he, he, he would not consider himself a dual threat, I don't think. It's not really what he is. He's much more of a pocket passer. Um, but that, if that's what you're going to hang your hat on, you have to be able to recognize blitzes, step up and feel the pressure. And that's not exactly been a strength for him throughout his Northwestern career. It would seem that the Northwestern defense is going to need to step up, make some plays, help its offense out to really give themselves a chance to compete in Beaver Stadium. When you look across the Wildcats defense and what they face against Penn State, what's the most alarming concern for Northwestern? And where is there maybe some room uh, for them to do some damage? I would say definitely the biggest concern is along the linebacking core in the front seven, which has to face arguably the best uh, running back tandem in the country um, and Nicholas Singleton and, and Katron Allen, the, the two freshmen for Penn State, because this unit is just not not getting after the run, as we saw last year, not shedding blocks along the defensive line, not taking shrewd pursuit angles from the linebackers and from the secondary. And also just the linebackers are, are rather unathletic, I would say. Um, that's leading to just just big gains. We saw a 66-yard run from Miami this past Saturday, which was one of the worst plays Northwestern had on the entire game and kind of put a damper on a pretty solid defensive showing for Jim O'Neill, the second-year defensive coordinator, who is very much under fire from the Northwestern fans, at the very least, based on how his team has responded in this second year of the new system. Um, so when you have a guy or guys who are new to playing linebacker as a full-time starter like Xander Mueller, like Grayson Metz, um, it, it, it's not exactly a recipe for success when you have to go against a, a veteran and pretty good Penn State offensive line and then those the ridiculous uh, running backs. So the, the run game for Penn State should be the focal point, I would think. But also, I guess I should say, on the other hand, I think Northwestern could potentially be okay in the pass game. Uh, it seems like Northwestern still will be without A.J. Hampton, the other starting corner this week. But Cam Mitchell, the junior, he has had a pretty solid campaign thus far. I would say a little hit or miss. Uh, sometimes he'll make a sensational pass breakup. Other times he'll give up a big play. But I think if Northwestern wants to win, Mitchell is going to have to be that lockdown corner, which he has proven he can be at times and, and really match up against Mitchell Tinsley and Parker Washington. Before we get to your final thoughts on this matchup, I want to hear a little bit about special teams play. Don't want to overlook that. What does Northwestern bring to the table there? 
In terms of special teams, I think it's been a little unexpected for Northwestern this year. Um, those within the media and following the team figured it would be Jack Olson, the Michigan State transfer to handle kicking duties. But it sounds like he suffered some type of injury. So it's been grad transfer Adam Stage from North Dakota, who's been the primary kicker. And in the limited time that Northwestern has kicked, Stage has been fine. He was the uh, special teams player of the week for Northwestern, though. I mean, all he had to do was make two extra points. So I guess not exactly a super high bar. Stage has been a little iffier on, on kicks, um, but the kickoff game has, has been pretty good. Punting-wise, Northwestern has Luke Akers, the son of longtime NFL kicker David Akers. He also transferred from UCLA this offseason, and he was marvelous in Dublin. He had three punts, I believe, inside the 20, uh, one Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week. It felt like everyone around the world was just watching Akers drop bombs um, against this Nebraska team. And Akers has also looked pretty good throughout the rest of the season. Northwestern had a pretty good punter last year, and Derek Adams as well. Um, he's, he was one of the actually the all-time leading players in NCAA history and punting yards just given the length of his career. So I think special teams, not a huge concern for Northwestern. All things considered, the team also has a pretty good special teams player and Ray Nairo the third wearing the number one jersey, a pretty exclusive honor. The senior can get down in the field in a hurry and make some pretty big stops um, on the punt return and kick return game. So special teams wise, Northwestern is, is fairly sound. But then again, as I said, stage hasn't really been tested all that much. I'm not sure I would like his, his odds of facing a game-winning kick in Happy Valley or anything like that. Um, uh, by the way, I, I thought it was fantastic that they were able to, to showcase the Big Ten's excellent punting um, overseas. That was mm -hmm. really great that Northwestern was able to do that. Um, and, and, I, and I saw the Acres. I was like, is that David Acres' son? Quick search on Google. Yes, sir, it is. Um, all right, let's jump into the final thoughts here. Your prediction, if you have one here as we record, um, Northwestern hitting the road, heading Happy Valley, trying to avoid that four-game losing streak. Where do you stand on this one? Of course, I think there is a very there is a chance, of course, that Northwestern could pull this out, just given Fitzgerald, given what we saw from from Penn State last year. Obviously, a much different team, much stronger team, it appears this year. But we saw Illinois, a Big Ten West team. Nobody really gave them a chance come into Happy Valley and win one of the wildest games I ever remember seeing. But I just can't envision a similar fate for Northwestern this year. This team is just not talented enough to try to contend with the Penn State Nittany Lions, a top 10 team for a reason, proving every single test with flying colors so far. I mean, offensively, I'm not really sure what Northwestern is going to be able to do through the air, given how prolific this Penn State secondary is led by Joey Porter Jr. Um, so I'm not too optimistic on the pass game, the run game. I mean, I, I think Curtis Jacobs is obviously going to be flying around for the Nittany Lions. So I don't think Northwestern is going to score very much in this one. But on the other hand, I think the Nittany Lions are going to have a very ground-heavy uh, attack and, and really just decimate this Northwestern front seven, which has very much been bad for this year, dating back to last year. I mean, the, I think the only chance Northwestern would have is a, a few turnovers here or there from Penn State, maybe a regression game from Sean Clifford, but he's looked pretty good throughout this season. So I, I would have to lean Penn State and pretty heavily. Um, my final score prediction would be Penn State 34, North, Northwestern 10. All right, 34 to 10 from Bradley Locker, who covers the Wildcats, managing editor at Inside NU, part of the SB Nation Network. We really appreciate it. Great stuff from you. I feel like I know a lot more about this matchup than I did coming into the conversation. I'm sure our audience does as well. Thanks, Bradley. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to watching this one on Saturday. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Great stuff there on a Northwestern squad that really could use some positive momentum. It's going to be a hard task for them to find it on the road against the Penn State team coming off of a 33-14 victory over Central Michigan. Some corrections to be made after that one. Uh, we'll see if they are applied. And to talk about this matchup and more, we bring back Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan, my colleagues at Lions 24-7. You've heard them on uh, this spot of, of our episode, uh, of our podcast uh, schedule each and every week, our Thursday episode. Let's do it again. Mark, Daniel, uh, I guess we can't avoid it any longer on this podcast. It has been a week of speculation, of noise regarding the quarterback position. And as it turns out, message boards remain a powerful driver of that kind of speculation. With QB1, Sean Clifford, 37 career starts, a guy that we saw was full go in the practice period that we got to see on Wednesday. And Mark, directly asked about Sean Clifford's health status, was James Franklin on Wednesday and about his durability he said, so far, so good. In fact, he went so far to say that Sean Clifford was in as good of a position as he's been in at this stage of a season as the starting quarterback. But there seems to be something afoot, at the very least, when you get a sense for where this thing is right now. You have some conversations, nothing to tackle and pinpoint at this stage. But with Sean Clifford, the lingering injury kind of conversation has been a part of the dialogue in the past. Where do you place this right now, Mark, less than about 48 hours away from kickoff? Yeah, I mean, I think the beauty of it is that we do have an opportunity to see practice. And the practice that we saw, we saw Sean Clifford doing everything he he always does. Uh, so that's what more can we read into it other than the fact that he was full go. I mean, he was running the ball. He was passing the ball. Uh doing going through drills now you know i will say that there was no contact involved uh but there never is with the quarterbacks in practice and there certainly never is when when we're there so uh it looks like sean clifford's the guy uh but we'll see what happens come game day i know that every single reporter in there uh as soon as we got into practice it was almost a mad sprint uh, to go check out and see what, what Sean Clifford was up to when he was doing everything. So we can only report what we see and what we saw with Sean Clifford looking like he was 100%. There were no attempts to, I guess, keep him off to the side, keep us away from seeing Sean Clifford. He was the, the lead man in quarterback drills. Again, it was really just individual positional work that we saw out there for 15 minutes or so. We have our full uh, group of practice notes up for our VIP subscribers at Lions 24-7. But I will say this, uh, right now, like you said, Sean Clifford appears to be ready to roll and play on Saturday. But I, you know, we have binoculars for a reason in the press box, and we're all going to be keeping them very handy when this team comes out for their initial pregame workouts in their you know shorts and T-shirts, and then a little bit later in full pads, and uh, and they're in their uniforms. And to me, uh, this is one where you think really going to have to go down to the first snap to get the clarity on this one uh, over the course of the next 48 hours. I don't think there's going to be anything concrete that comes out of the Lash building that's going to, to lead you to, to make a final conclusion one way or the other before we see it for ourselves in Beaver Stadium. Uh, but I can certainly say that uh, there is a sense, and it goes beyond the denied Dennis Sutton post uh, on Instagram calling Drew Aller QB1 this week. There is a sense that there's something afoot here uh, in terms of the quarterback dynamics and who we might see and how long we might see them on Saturday ahead of a bye week. And with a quarterback, as we said, who struggled to really get through these seasons in full health by the time you're at the midway point or so. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I, I went into practice uh, last night not expecting James Franklin to tip his hand in any direction with, with any player. Um, so it, it felt like business as usual on Wednesday night, and it'll be business as usual for us on Saturday in the press box with those binoculars, taking that attendance, trying to notice if something, anything, uh, no matter what position, um, you know, if something looks different, something looks amiss. But, you know, it's we're going into a bye week. It's a game that doesn't have a lot of juice to it uh, with the way that Northwestern's played. But it's a little bit of intrigue uh, here in, in week five uh, ahead of what you know, should be a big week off because of what follows it for Penn State. Yeah, and Tyler, if I could, if I could mention one yeah. other thing, you know, I know we're going to get into our game predictions later, but let me throw this question out. If for some chance Sean Clifford didn't play, would you change your game prediction? And as I'm looking through everybody's predictions here, I put the, I put that piece together for our site, and I'm go I'm, I'm go going through, and not many people mentioned Sean Clifford 
in their game predictions. I don't know that it would have that big of a difference in this particular game. Again, we're going to get into Northwestern and what they kind of bring to what 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 the Wildcats kind of bring to the table. But I know from my perspective, I'm I'm predicting a pretty significant Penn State win, and I don't think it would make that much of a difference if Sean Clifford does and does not play. That's not a knock on Sean Clifford. I just think Drew Aller's that good, and I think Northwestern is struggling that much. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Mark. I don't think it would really you know, tip the scales in some way where I would go from predicting a blowout, which I'll give the score for later, to, to saying this is going to be a dogfight down to the wire because Sean Clifford's not on the field. Too many things happening in Penn State's favor across the field beyond the quarterback spot. And we've already discussed this is not a QB1 gap to QB2 that existed for this program last year. It's a very different scenario if, you're, if your starter is not available. Um, and I also will say this, you know, you're going into uh, an off week next week and you come out of the road at Michigan, you know, that's part of the, the conversation here. That's part of the reason why you put, start putting pieces together and wondering, well, if there was something that needed to be, uh, you know, cleaned up with Sean Clifford or where you needed to kind of tuck him away for a little bit to make sure he's right for the biggest stretch of your season. You eyeball this game, you know, against a team that lost to an F FCS opponent a couple of weeks ago and, and, you know, bookended by a bye week on the other side of it. You can understand why that might make sense, but at the same time, um, Sean Clifford out there taking this first snap, handling first half of action, no one would be stunned by that. Uh, but I think right now it's important as we record on a Thursday afternoon. Um, it's something that we all need to be monitoring. It's something that we will be monitoring. Um, and while there is no tangible evidence right now that Sean Clifford would not be able to play, there's enough smoke right now to convince me that we've got to keep our finger on the pulse of this thing all the way through kickoff and potentially beyond kickoff. Yeah, and I, I'm sorry, I agree with that. I didn't know if Daniel was going to chime in. Uh, but that's part of the fun of uh, of covering college football. I do know that uh, when some of this stuff was surfacing, I was talking to you guys about back in 1994, Kajana Carter was actually banged up in a Temple game at Temple at Franklin Field on October 1st. Penn State followed that with a bye and then was at Michigan October 15th. So how crazy is that? So he actually was able to get something cleaned up in between there and was fine to go for Michigan, and we all know what happened in that Michigan game. Penn State kind of rallies for a nice little win there and uh, goes on to an undefeated season. Not saying that's going to happen with this year's team, uh, but uh, I also think we have to take a look back at that Central Michigan game and the way Penn State handled that with respect to uh, all the players. A, a bunch of players didn't dress. A guy like Hunter Norzad, did dress but didn't play, they were erring on the side of caution. And I would imagine if this game goes the way people expect it's going to go, and you never know with Northwestern. I mean, Fitz is a really good coach. He's done some really good things. They've had moments. It's just not happening for them this year. But if it does go the way I think a lot of people expect it's going to go, I think you're going to see some more of that erring on the side of the caution, of caution, particularly in the second half. That was a really interesting Kajana Carter reference earlier in the week, by the way. We, we appreciated that. It would not have been on my radar otherwise. Daniel, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I mean, we're, we're at the point in the season where we're, we're four games in, a third of the way through the season. This is a physical game. So this is when, the the as James Franklin said, the bumps and bruises and uh, the little minor things, this is where those really start, start to surface. And we saw a lot of guys on the sideline last week um, that had that played, like James Franklin said, you know, there's the Hunter Norris that, well, you know, maybe he could have gone, but, you know, we wanted to, you know, to be on the safe side. And so I think that you're at the point now where a lot of these guys, you know, if there were an injury report, they might be on it as as questionable, limited. Um, and this is the point where Penn State has to decide, all right, how are we going to manage uh, some of this stuff moving forward? And things set up, I think, pretty nicely uh, in terms of management, in terms of having Central Michigan, Northwestern being what it has been this per first month, then the bye week before this big stretch at the end of the month. Um, but it's just, this is the time of year where, where things start to pop up, um, where, you know, you start to notice it and the ways that some guys play. So it's just another thing that kind of layers on uh, watching this team and, and tracking how they're playing. And I will step, I'll take a step back from the, uh, the rabbit hole and the conspiracy theory uh, realm in just a moment. But I look back at, at how James Franklin has handled situations where the starting quarterback, you know, relatively deep into the season, midseason at least, has you know been afflicted by some kind of issue, and he's continued to trot him out there, perhaps to the detriment of the offense, perhaps to the detriment of Penn State. I think last year, 
Sean Clifford continuing to play, coming out of that Iowa game without taking a break from game action. Um, a few years back on the road at Michigan, Trace McSorley tries to give it a go early at Michigan. And they get blown out of the building over there. Tommy Stevens enters late, doesn't matter much. Um, so there have been instances in the past where James Franklin, and whether it was because he, he wanted to keep those eggs in the basket of a starting quarterback or he didn't necessarily trust the situation behind that starting quarterback, where we've seen a guy who wasn't full health go out there and, and maybe lower your ceiling as a football program in that moment. Drew Aller, we've talked about it. How could he raise the ceiling of this offense long-term, maybe even short-term? So this is just such a different situation in play at quarterback where anytime there's a possibility that Sean Clifford might miss a game, a series, a snap, it's just an entirely different conversation than the one that we've had in the last few years. Um, elsewhere on the practice field, someone else we did see as a full participant and wearing their own jersey number for the first time in a while was Keziah Izzard. Uh, he was the starter for the final seven games of last season when P.J. Mustafer was sidelined at defensive tackle. Uh, redshirt sophomore, we've seen him involved at every practice that we've witnessed, but we have not seen him travel with the team for road games or suit up for home games. Uh, I asked James Franklin after this practice if that was a sign that because he's not in a scout team uniform, that he's going to be on the field and dressed and available for Penn State. He said it's possible. And guys, when we gauge what we've heard from James Franklin on Smith Vilbert and Kazai Izar to this point, that is a pretty optimistic tone, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, getting one or both of those guys back on that defensive line, uh, which I think has been playing really well. I know some people are kind of nitpicking the fact that they, they don't have a ton of sacks from the front four, but I think overall the pressure on the quarterback's been pretty good. Some of the QBs they've faced have done a nice job of getting rid of the ball real quickly outside of Auburn, uh, but to be able to add uh, – and listen, I don't kn – knowing what we know, seeing the practices we've seen over the last however many years – Typically, if somebody's there in their jer in their jersey, not a scout team jersey, and, and working out, and they've been a part of the team, we're, we're typically going to see them in action that game week. So I think Izzard, I would be shocked if he doesn't play. Uh, Smith Vilbert's a different story. He was still in a scout team jersey, uh, so let's see what happens there. But to get one or both of those guys back, I just think speaks to the depth uh, that they're they're going to be able to have on this defensive line when you consider that. Uh, you know, both of those kids were starting in the bowl game last year. Anytime you can add that experience and and that just physical presence to the interior of the line, um, I think that bodes pretty well. Um, you know, that Michigan game, I think, has loomed for a lot of people uh, since Kazai uh, Izzard has been absent. Um, you know, Penn State was able to, you know, they made their way through that Auburn game. I think that that was an area of concern that we had, but that game flow meant that, the run game wasn't really uh, in the cards for Auburn, but I think a lot of people when kind of monitoring Izzard have had that Michigan game circled. And I think that we'll have a, you know, we got a good indication from James Franklin uh, last night that things seem to be trending in the right direction. And we'll get a little bit more information on Saturday and then we can continue to, to spin that forward. But I think that the, the line has held up well this year, I think. Um, but you know, as we know, you can't really have too much depth uh, on either spot uh, in the trenches. And then this is a guy who's played a bunch of Big Ten football, not just some kind of roster riser. He's going to have some catching up to do. I'd imagine he'll have some rust to knock off. But I will say just observing Kaziah Izzard and practices going back to August, I mean, he he's certainly has not looked like a slacker out there. He's been uh, challenging the offensive lineman, and, and now maybe he'll get a chance to challenge some other offensive linemen wearing a different uniform. More of the same with Smith Filbert, by the way. He was actually also in number 99. Uh, his, he's, his normal number on the roster is 92. Uh, he was working with the scout team. So stay tuned on the defensive end, the redshirt junior. James Franklin told us regarding Filbert, uh, who has also been absent from all four games this year, that he's just unavailable right now. And we're going to get circled back with, with Franklin and hopefully gain some clarity on that in the near future. But we did not come away with practice from practice with it. You mentioned Norzad being uh, out in practice. Uh, Nick, Nick Dawkins was out of practice. Uh, those are your two backup centers right now behind Juice Scruggs. Neither were apparently available. Uh, Dawkins was not in uniform. Norzad was sidelined last Saturday. So a positive thing in terms of depth uh, on the offensive front there. Guys, let's focus in on this matchup. There are strengths across the board for Penn State uh, that you can point to. I feel like we've been saying this just about weekly now where Penn State has a significant uh, advantage in a lot of ways. Uh, Daniel, we'll start with you here. When you look at this matchup against a Northwestern team that is really in a bad place right now, where do you see them being most exploitable? 
I think the Penn State pass defense is going to have a, a nice day against Ryan Holinsky and the Northwestern offense. Um, the, the linebackers, I think, could be stressed a little bit, given that Northwestern's top target in the pass game is running back Evan Hull. Um, so, you know, you look at the, the numbers for Northwestern, and I think they're in the top 10 for pass attempts nationally. They're not necessarily chucking it downfield, um, you know, looking for the deep ball for some of their wide receivers. It's a lot of stuff to the running back. The offense really goes through him. But if Penn State does, or if Northwestern does have to turn downfield, I mean, we've seen that this, uh, this secondary is playing at such a high level. Um, they're feeling good. They're all playing off of each other. Um, Malik Washington is Northwestern slot receiver. who's gotten a lot of targets. So I think it could be a, a big Daquan Hardy game. Um, we haven't really heard much from Hardy this year. Um, it's been a lot of Joey Porter, a lot of Kalen King, a lot of Johnny Dixon, a lot of the safeties. Um, but I think this is the game where when you look at that nickel spot uh, matching up against a slot receiver, um, I think that could be a, a pretty busy day for Hardy. Mark, before we get to you on the same topic, Daniel, you wrote on Wednesday about the no-fly zone that is, that is uh, growing in, in the defensive backfield. <laughs> you talked about the confidence level. James Franklin references statistic that no team has uh, more than 30 pass breakups right now except Penn State, and they've got 41 through four games. Uh, what are you hearing from that group about the high they're riding through the first month of the season? Yeah, it's a group that just seems to be in a, a really good place, and that's really feeding off of each other. Um, Joey Porter Jr. explained their their celebration with the little. Uh, I'm not going to do it on camera. Come on, but, uh, come on, man. you know. All right, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know they're they're flapping their wings a little bit uh, after after some plays, but said Daquan Hardy started it, and that it was just going to be the cornerbacks, but then. The safety started doing it. Then the linebacker started doing it. Uh, Joey Porter said that Manny Diaz is doing it on the sideline. Uh, they're seeing the fans do it. So that's something that's really kind of, I guess, organically grown. And I think that kind of just grows out of the success that they're having and, and the confidence that they have. So um, it's a group that I think feels really good. Uh, Porter was asked yesterday about uh, those penalties from last year and, and how he's been able to avoid them for the most part this year. And, he said that they know that going into these games that the refs are looking at them, that I think he knows he has a reputation and that it can rub off on some of the other guys. So it's a lot of playing with their feet, um, understanding that when they're at the top of a route, they don't need to grab. Um, and then Joey Porter said that they know that they're, they believe that they're faster than everybody that they play. Um, and then that's something too, where, all right, like we don't need to use our hands. We're fast enough to make this happen. So it was a really good call with Porter yesterday. Uh, some good perspective and some some good insight uh, into that room. But that secondary, uh, you know, they've got some tests coming up later this year. But for right now, it just seems like they're in such a good spot. Yeah, you know, you're looking at a uh, Northwestern offense that ranks next to last in the Big Ten in, in uh, scoring. Uh, 23 points per game and I, I think the thing that you need to to do to put that into perspective is uh, by at least one uh, significant sites uh, measure of of schedule strength Northwestern has faced the worst schedule of any Big Ten team so you're rank you're ranked that low and you've really not played anybody and now all of a sudden you're gonna go up against that group of athletes you know I mean I, I Northwestern uh, last in the Big Ten in turnover margin at minus five. Penn State first in the Big Ten in turnover margin at plus eight. So even if things vary a little bit, I mean, I think it would just have to be a huge shift in the dynamic that we've seen so far for Northwestern to have a, a chance. And then looking at it on the other side, I was surprised. I didn't realize this, even though I watched some of that, uh, some of the, the Miami of Ohio game. But Northwestern's rush defense, 13th in the Big Ten. Yeah. And, you know, we could be looking at a wet track. We know Penn State is, is really, uh, and I think wisely so, gone above and beyond to establish the run. Not at, a, at the expense of the pass, but against Central Michigan, I think Penn State could have passed for 600 yards. But they didn't do that. I think Yersich very wisely kept the, the the ground game going and, and wanted to get things established. So I could I could see this being a game where uh, offensively Penn State's really able to crank out some significant rushing yards uh, with those two freshman backs 
and you know maybe uh, even Kevon Lee getting back into the mix. He was he was he looked like he was full go at practice. Uh, so I think those are two of the real key areas that I'm looking at. I'm gonna I'm gonna land on on Penn State's ground game versus Northwestern's inability to potentially stop them. Especially, I think that there's a lack a lack of lateral quickness collectively for this Wildcats defensive unit that I think really plays into the hand of Nick Singleton. You know, he kind of took the step back from the spotlight last week uh, with Katron Allen going with a lot of north south and getting eight yards plus a pop. It felt like over and over again en route to a Big Ten conference player, a freshman of the week. I think Nick Singleton is primed against North, this Northwestern defense to get some angles, get to the edge, and really be able to exploit them down the sidelines, uh, some big gainers. Um, Northwestern, through these first four games, guys, I think what, what I'm just looking at matchup-wise, I know people don't like to view momentum as a real thing in, in determining who's going to win games or trying to weigh the matchup. But to me, you're just the body language is going to be very different. I watched the end of that Northwestern game. They lost their third straight game at home. I think they've lost five or six straight on their home field going back to last year. You know, you come off a loss against the Southern Illinois team that was decimated by some school called Immaculate Word earlier in the season, and you lose to them at home as a Big Ten team, and then you lose again the next week to Miami of Ohio. I just have a, a, a – I mean, I know Fitzgerald has been there forever, and he played there, and he's a living legend there. I have a hard time wondering – uh, how this locker room is right now going to Beaver Stadium. And it would be one hell of a coaching job by Pat Fitzgerald and one that I wouldn't put past him. It's a guy who's accomplished a lot at a program that doesn't have, uh, doesn't necessarily belong in that conversation in a lot of different ways in the Big Ten title chase. But this isn't the year, I don't think. And I don't think this is the moment that they're going to have a, a pivot and, and face a, a Penn State team that not only is feeling good about themselves at 4-0, but I think they're a little angry with themselves because of how the action went down last Saturday. And they've gotten their first real taste of, hey, we won, but was it really a performance that we want to hang our hat on? And that's the new mentality. That's the new mind shift for a Penn State football program. If they want to assert themselves as long-term conference championship contenders this year and a college football playoff contender, that's got to be the, the attitude here. You've got to smell the blood in the water against the Wildcats team that is leaking that blood profusely right now. You got to pounce on it. And and I do think Penn State's in a good spot. I, I just feel like momentum on both ends of, of this matchup are swinging toward the opposite pendulum. Uh, and, and right now, I, I feel like that's going to be very hard to overcome on the road for Northwestern. Yeah, I think you ha also have to look when you look at Northwestern. You know, where is this team mentally? I mean, but for a horrendous call by Scott Frost in Ireland with an onside kick, uh, I mean, Northwestern would be 0-4 right now. And when you look at some of those scores from last year, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, these have all been tight games. Yeah, they've been tight games against bad teams. And when you look at when they've played even decent Big Ten teams last year, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but they were getting – just blown out last year by I think Illinois put 50 on them uh so yeah you're, you're looking at you, you have to wonder where this team is mentally and in terms of uh Fitz listen I, I think everybody realizes this guy is a, is a tremendous coach he's done a great job uh outwardly had a chance to watch his press conference the positive vibe is there it's always going to be there outwardly but you have to wonder how much this guy is probably kicking himself for maybe not getting out when he had a chance to a couple years ago when they were riding high, what was it, uh, twice in, in three years or four years, whatever it was, winning the Big Ten West? Because you, as you look at their schedule now, it's very difficult to find where they're going to win a game. And I, ha I just can't imagine where that team is mentally after three of those three home losses than coming into an environment like they're going to see on Saturday. Yeah, Big Ten titles in 2018 and 20 or Big, Big Ten West titles, I should say, in 2018 and 2020. They lost in, in the conference championship game. That was an abbreviated 2020 season. Three wins last year, only one of which came in the Big Ten conference. And to this point, one and three. Uh, with all that said, Daniel, is there anything in this matchup going into it where you say, well, let's just see how Penn State handles this dynamic because maybe that could trip them up? I think I'm going to be curious to see what the pass rush can do um, against Ryan Holinsky. And especially when you look at that Northwestern line, uh, Peter Skaronsky, uh, the left tackle, he's someone that is on a bunch of uh, mock drafts, a bunch of prospect rankings. I think he's in the top 10 of Mel Kuyper Jr.'s big board at this point. Um, he's a junior. Uh, James Franklin made sure to mention that you know, Penn State recruited him too when he was coming out. Um, and that he's a, a very you know good left tackle prospect. So 
you know, we've talked about those pass rushers, uh, how much have they gotten home? What kind of frequency have they gotten home with? Um, I think this could be a pretty big showcase game for Adisa Isaac um, and Chop Robinson if he ends up on on the right side of that line. So I think that that's something that will be interesting to watch. Um, you know, the the running back being involved in the passing game a lot can also make that a little bit difficult to get home. Um, but I am very curious to see you know, how much can Penn State affect Ryan Holinsky because that's when you get those turnovers that's when you get those sacks. That's when you get those big plays that can really put this game out of reach. Mark, any cause for uh, concern? I, I know that we're going to give our scores in a bit that don't indicate much concern, but if there was some to be found against Northwestern, where do you see it? I think it's actually Penn State kind of looking inwardly. Um, you know, if you're a Penn State fan, you want to knock on wood now. The, the fact that PSU only has one turnover, uh, you, you just have to imagine at some point you, I don't know if that's sustainable. I mean, it, it's it's fantastic uh, for Penn State that they've been able to do that, but I think the only chance that Northwestern really has in this game is if Penn State is hit with an uncharacteristic rash of turnovers. Northwestern uncharacteristically holds on to the ball, so uh, you're, you're looking at things having to, to 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 shift out of character significantly. I think for Northwestern to have a chance. Could that happen? Yeah, anything could happen. We saw it with Penn State and Illinois last year, right? Uh, anything could happen. But I think this is a better coach uh, Penn State team now. And with Northwestern, I just don't know. So many, they would have to do so many things well that they haven't done well that I, I, I think it's going to be difficult. Yeah, and as everyone heard from the Northwestern expert that we just had on, not a lot of confidence coming from Evanston uh, from that perspective either. Um, and I'll just note here before we get out of the conversation on potential concerns, is this a game where it's going to cost them a win? I don't think so. But it, they could win this game by 35 points if they miss an extra point and a kick. And if the kickoff doesn't look good, people are going to be focusing in on that because the, the days are going to be done uh, where we're projecting 30-point wins for Penn State. Uh, unless you want to get really, really, really uh, ballsy in the next few weeks coming into October. But right now you're looking at a matchup here, guys, that um, I think you want to see that cleaned up. Uh, regardless of what the final score ends up being, I don't think special teams is going to do enough to impact it one way or the other. But Jake Pinniger, do you have some kind of answer on where he's at going into the off week? Uh, does the kickoff specialist situation still feature three guys this week? Is it back to two? Is, is the execution better there? There are uh, plenty of hidden yardage and lost points here in the first couple of months, the uh, first month of the season to parse through where you're like, well, it kind of hurt them in a matchup that they won handedly. That conversation is going to change. And so I think going into the bye week, where uh, where are we going to be uh, with the special teams unit? I think that's still a, a pressing question going into the matchup. Yeah, I mean, they, they have to have they have to settle on a kickoff specialist. I mean, I, I still can't believe that. I cannot believe we saw that in a game that they cycled through three different kickoff specialists. And it's like, and I just, it's curious to me how that stuff isn't settled during the week. You know, James Franklin talked about how everything is based, they chart every single thing. So how do you get into a game and a guy kicks one kick, one kickoff, and then you switch? And then another guy kicks one kickoff, and then you switch. I, I just think there was almost like a panic mode there you know, if you're going to decide to go with different people to do different jobs, let them do their job. And then I really believe, you know, you have Pinniger coming off of a good showing at Auburn. You know, nothing fantastic. It's not like he made seven field goals, but he made a long field goal uh, when it when it kind of mattered. And then to, to take him from just doing uh, his shorter field goals to adding him to the kickoff mix where we hadn't seen him do that all year. How much did that impact him? And then, you know, they obviously have to get that blocking situation cleaned up. As much as I've been on the kickers and the coaching staff for dealing with the kickers, you, you can't have people barreling through the line and blocking extra points. You just can't have that. I mean, I was watching, was it Virginia Tech? They've made like something like 600 straight extra points or something ridiculous. And Penn State has missed two this year. So I know we're nitpicking, but that's what we do here. Uh, they have to get all that stuff cleaned up, especially going into that bye. Well, we heard we heard from special teams coordinator Stacy Collins early on Thursday. Daniel has some notes up on our what we are hearing uh, thread from throughout the week. Uh, everything we've we've talked about with players and coaches up on our site at lines247.com. Um, but let's get into it now. Players to watch, prediction times. Let's quickly go through your pick for a Penn State player to watch, and we'll start with you, Daniel Gallon. 
touched on it a little bit before uh, Adisa Isaac going up against Peter Skaronsky. Um, I think that's the Penn State defense matchup that I'm going to keep an eye on. Then on the other side, player to watch, uh, Parker Washington. He's very quietly led the team in, in receiving the past three weeks. And I think that you know, we saw the potential for him to have a you know five catch, 130 yard game uh, last year. And I think that one of those games is, is coming at some point. Um, I think that, you know, given the fact that we might have some you know, tough conditions out there on Saturday with the rain, um, I think he's someone where if he gets the ball in his hands, um, he can, you know, be essentially a running back in that secondary. He can help be an extension of the run game. So I think that we could see a, a big game from Parker Washington. Um, I went with a big game for Penn State, uh, 42-17 over Northwestern. Um, I, one thing that I'm very curious about, um, I think if the weather was going to be a little bit better, um, I might bump the margin up by a little bit, uh, Northwestern, uh, plays at a very high tempo, uh, which means that you can get up and down the field quickly also means you can get off the field quickly. Um, and if the way the Penn state defense is playing, if they can force a couple quick punts, uh, score quickly, this thing could really get out of hand, but I think that like we talked about earlier, I think there will be an emphasis on the running game uh, for Penn State, and I think that that will keep this within uh, four touchdowns. Mark? Yeah, I'm going to go with Curtis Jacobs. You know, th- it, Again, I'm going to talk about the, the weather. I mean, if this is kind of a uh, a wet track, if it is muddy and, and rainy and everything else, it's, that, that's linebacker weather. You know, And I also like the fact that that last game we saw Curtis Jacobs playing with Abdul Carter at times both on the field at the same time. So I, you know, I look for Curtis Jacobs to have at least one turnover, uh, obviously recovered a, a muff punt last week, uh, but I look for him to have a big tackle game and do some things well. And then over on offense, Tyler, I, I don't want to steal anybody you might've gone with, but you did the snap counts uh, this week, which were really cool. I was surprised that Theo Johnson had as many snaps as he did. And, and yeah. I wonder if this is the game where they're able to get him worked back into the passing game even more. So I would I don't know that he's going to have a gigantic game, but to me if he if they could get him three or four catches, I think that would be a really good game for him coming back from whatever that injury was and just to see that they had the confidence to give him that many snaps last week. Uh, that was really a really cool feature and it was really that was one of the things that as I looked at that, you know, a lot of times you're 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 you're, you're watching a game and you have a feel for guys who are playing a lot and who are playing a lot. And I, and I was surprised uh, Theo played that many. Uh, with respect to my pick, again, you know, I mentioned it with the with the Northwestern offense, how much they've been struggling. I just don't think they can score enough to, points to beat Penn State, even if Penn State doesn't play well offensively. But I think Penn State will play well offensively because they're going to run the ball very well. And I'm looking at it at 39-14 Penn State. All right. Uh, I've got 45 to 10 Penn State picking up the victory in this one. Um, I think it's going to be a huge day for the freshmen. Uh, you're looking at a scenario where seven of these true freshmen burned their red shirts on Saturday with their first snap of the game. We saw two guys burn their red shirts in 13 games last year. Just another reflection of where this group is and how they've impacted the program quickly. Um, in terms of a player to watch, this is kind of cheating because I usually try to take someone a little off the beaten path. I'm going to go Drew Aller because the second they emerge from this tunnel, hour and 10 minutes before the game or whatever it is, we'll be watching 15 pretty closely and number 14 as well. Regardless of who takes the first snap in this game, I do think we're going to see extended action from Drew Aller, potentially the most action we've seen from him uh, at any point this season. And, and it'll be five for five on getting into games, but I think we all can agree this effectively ends the portion of the schedule where you feel like there were going to be built-in opportunities dictated by the scoreboard to work in Drew Aller. And now the conversation is going to be become, what did you see through five games from Drew Aller? What did you see for five games through Sean Clifford? And how can you manage to raise your ceiling and give defensive coordinators plenty to think about with both of those guys? Um, a lot, to, a lot to, to, to kind of chew on coming out of this game because I think they're going to get him a lot of snaps. And ultimately, I think it's going to be the kind of performance – rainy conditions or not, where imagination is going to run wild for Nittany Lions fans. And they're going to have two weeks to let that imagination kind of sprint and, and, and go wherever it goes. So Sean Clifford could, could play well to start this game, uh, assuming he's going to play. 
Um, but I think Drew Aller by the end of this is going to have a lot of people talking about what he was able to do in another extended look. And I think generally those freshmen are going to have a major impact on this one. Deny Dennis Sutton makes it a three-game streak with a sack. Nick Singleton turns it into four straight games with a 100-yard rusher. And Abdul Carter continues to show us that he's more than just some kind of freshman who's going to pop in and make plays. He's more of a, an emerging mainstay of what they'll want to do defensively for the final two quarters or uh, final two thirds of this season. So that's where I'm at. A, a lot of freshman talk and a 35 point victory and a plenty for us to dissect in the coming weeks before Big Ten play really ramps up. So that's going to do it for this episode. Gave you a lot, a lot from Northwestern. Uh, appreciate that perspective. A lot from our guys here with Mark and Daniel, producer Lance Glenn, getting it done behind the scenes. I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks as always for tuning in to the Lions 24 7 podcast. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.